Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Snooze fest at Anfield, Leicester keep the pressure on, Chelsea Spurs and Arsenal all win, but our Man City casually slipping into fourth gear. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined for this one by Alex Mott. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So I've just got back from a physiotherapy appointment where my arm was yanked out of its socket for half an hour, but it still wasn't as painful as Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil. We'll start at Anfield today, and my first question on that game is, given how tight the top six is this season, do you think there's actually some merit to keeping it tight and playing for a draw when the big teams meet, Alex? You know, we saw it with the the Manchester derby last month as well. Do you think that's actually a decent strategy? Yeah, I think, you know, the past two or three seasons, you you win the league with 95 points, 100 points. Whereas this season, so in that, in sort of that context, two points dropped is huge. Mm. Whereas this season, it's a bit more of a, a bit more of a normal season. So, you know, what's going to win the league now? 82, 85 points probably. probably so yeah. I think, uh, I think a point each is probably not a bad result for those two teams. I mean, it was a dreadful game, but um, I can I can understand why. With you know, twenty minutes to go, I think both both managers would have been happy with with the draw. To be honest, isn't it weird how in a sport with sort of two quite uh, high quality teams, where theoretically anything can happen, everything can change in a split second, you can sometimes tell when a game's going to finish nil nil. I could tell after about five <laughs> minutes that it was going that way. Just yeah, I mean, I I sort of uh, swallowed the pre match build up whole, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, it was just it was rubbish. You know, you're right. The <laughs> First, first 20 minutes I thought Liverpool did alright and Azur and Shaqiri and Thiago got on the ball pretty well but yeah you could just tell from that first half that it wasn't really going to be wasn't going to catch fire was it no so. no well that's 16 ga- uh, sixteen away games unbeaten for United now and 68 home games unbeaten for Liverpool but that's now just one Premier League goal in the last four games for Liverpool what's happened Joel? Um, I think what we're seeing is the effects of the injuries come to play and say not necessarily the, the extent of the injuries or how many they're getting but the injuries to Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez, it's it's not necessarily had a, a massive effect on the defence because I think Liverpool's defence has been absolutely fine since van Dijk and Gomez both got injured. But what we're seeing is they've now lost the, the two best midfielders because uh, mm-hmm. they've had to go and play a centre-half and Fabinho and Jordan Henderson. And that's just had an effect further up the pitch. And it's kind of thrown the whole team out of sync in, in, in a way because you, you've now got, you know, Thiago's absolutely fine in there, but then Wijnaldum does seem to be able to do his bits without Henderson next to him. Is that you know the other person that's going to play midfield? Either Shakiri, Curtis Jones, Naby Keita, Oxley, Chamberlain, and three out of four of them I don't think are good enough to play for for a team trying to win the league, um, or definitely not on a regular basis anyway. So it, it, it's all had an effect, and and, and it's, you can see it's now having an effect on on the wing backs and and the attackers because yeah. they're not in in their game as well and. I, I know a lot has been made, really, of Virgil van Dijk's diagonal passes getting Liverpool up the pitch to you know playing the ball to Robson or Alexander Arnold, and that's a big part of Liverpool's attacking game. I, I think that's a, a fair point, and I think that can probably be one of the explanations for it. But it's just a team that's out of form, and they could just be also exhausted of all the games, and it's going to have an effect on every single team in the Premier League at some point. And mm-hmm. Liverpool are just going through their sticky patch now, aren't they? Yeah. Do you think Alex? I mean, Liverpool lost Diogo Jota yeah. to injury as well. Um, Roberto Firmino oh. has lost a lot of form, hasn't he? I mean, I was I was very yeah. defensive of Firmino when there was all this talk about Jota like permanently displacing him earlier in the season, but he's not looking good at the moment, is he? No, you can, and you can sort of. 
you can really see when he plays well, he sort of knits that team together and especially that front three. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he wasn't good at the weekend and he hasn't been good pretty much all season. But yeah, I, I totally agree with Joe. I think it's just sort of a lot of little things are all adding up to make one big thing in, in terms of Liverpool's form at the moment. You know, they're not, they've been exceptional for three years now and it's just slowly catching up with them. But yeah, you know, the, the injuries haven't helped. Henderson and Fabinho moving back has, has sort of created a little bit of a vacuum in the midfield. Alexander-Arnold isn't playing as well as he was before. The front three look knackered. So it's just all those little things have added up now. And um, I mean, Liverpool, you know, they're still, they'd probably finish second at the end of the, at the, end of the <laughs> season. But um, yeah, I think all those little things have just added up to make one one big problem at the moment. Yeah, it's the 19th of January today, Joel. Are Liverpool going to sign a centre-back? Is that going to be the answer to their problems? Ian Klopp has said it's unlikely and, I, I, you know, he, he has sort of fed the red herrings in the past to the media and, and then they've gone and signed players when he said not going to. But I think this time they won't. Um, and I know that they're going to have to at some point because even without the injuries, we only had three centre-backs going into the season anyway. But I don't think they're going to do it in January. I, I don't think that's because Virgil van Dijk's going to make it back anytime soon. I know there's videos of him playing on the pitch uh, over the weekend but and finally kicking the ball, but there's no way he's getting back for the end of the season. I think they're just gonna have, I think he's just happy to stick with what he's got. And and, t- and to be honest, I think you know, signing centre back won't necessarily solve all these problems because, you know, like I said there, the defending's actually not been too bad. And you know, they've only conceded eight goals in, in the eleven game, thirteen games since Van Dyke's been out. So it's it's not necessarily the problem, but they actually do need someone in, and I don't think they're going to do it. And personally, I, I would actually would sign a short-term centre uh, centre back and get someone on loan in, so you can put Henderson back in midfield or put Fabinho back in midfield. But no, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, which is, you know, what could come. I think will cost them, to be honest. Who, who are we talking about? Like a short-term signing? Who would who would you go for? I mean, I mean, Stephen Colker. Let's assume, let's assume the body is still a black and put her on. Anyone will do at this stage. That'll be a Laura Laura for now. I'll be well up for that. Yeah. Uh, you touched on it earlier, Alex, the fullbacks at Liverpool. Is it fair to say they've not been firing on all cylinders this season? Yeah, I think that's probably a bit harsh on Andy Robertson. I think he's been as good as he has been in the past couple of seasons. But yeah, yeah Alexander Arnold's, you know, he was so good when he first burst onto the scene and has kept kept up that consistency for so long. But this season, yeah, you can just see he's had a slight dip and it is just a slight dip but even his deliveries haven't been quite there and I think him his like overlapping runs have meant that Salah's look, not look quite as good because he hasn't got the space to cut in on the on the right hand side onto his left foot so yeah like I said that it's just those little things that have yeah sort of all snowballed into one one big issue for Liverpool right now and um, yeah hopefully Alexander Arnold can get back into form but um, yeah, it's not not been the best start to the season for him. Yeah, I did a podcast with uh, Ian McCourt a few few months back during an international break when we did the uh, the all time Premier League eleven, and I put Alexander Arnold as my right back. Wow. I, th- I think wow. I've jin- I think I've jinxed him. Yeah. His, his form has di- has nosed ever since. Mm. Uh, what did you make of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's game plan here, Joel? You know, United didn't have much of the ball. I think they had thirty odd percent possession, but they, they they almost nicked it with a couple of chances at the end. Do you think that was the right way to approach the game? Yeah, I do. I, I, you know what? The, the, you know, one of those chances goes in, and we're talking about Solskjaer masterclass, aren't we? Mm. Um, it's the fine margin of, of this of this game. Um, I do think we, Liverpool were there for the taking, and I do, you know, Manchester United maybe should approach that in terms of trying to go and get a win because it would have made them six points clear, and that's a big statement to make. You go and win at Anfield in January 
to get, to make yourself go six points ahead of Liverpool. Um, and I, I think that would have sent some messages around the rest of the division. But I, I, I always think, and talking from a Liverpool point of view, even when we're at the top of our game last couple of seasons, I always take a point at Old Trafford and I, I always think you should just go down and try and get out alive kind of thing because they're just horrible games and they're, and they're actually terrible games to watch, aren't they? But, like you said, Joel, Liverpool really were there for the taking, weren't they? Um, you know, with 20 minutes to go, Pogba had that really good chance at the end. Um, and was, was it Bruno Fernandes had another chance right at the end as well? So, um, yeah, I think they might come to regret not really going for it towards the end of the game there. I'm really curious to see how City get get on Anfield this season with with no fans there. Given mm. that our record there is absolutely dreadful, I'm wondering how much of the uh, you know the twelfth man, the spirit of Shankly, really really makes a difference in these games for Liverpool. Uh, yeah, I think you could see. You know, obviously, watching football with no fans isn't great, but that game, especially on Sunday, you know, just would have been so much better with a full Anfield, mm. wouldn't it? it? Just yeah, would have would have made it such a different game. I, I fell asleep in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of justified praise for Bruno Fernandez recently. You know, the 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 transformative uh, impact he's had on United, but also a few suggestions that he goes missing in the big games. I think I think it was the case against City in the Carabao Cup recently. Do you think that was the case in this game, Alex? Yeah, I thought this was his worst game for United. I think he had seven touches in the first half, something like that. He had the free kick, but that was literally it. And it, that sort of makes me really wonder about Donny van der Beek. I'm not sure why he didn't get a chance. It was quite clear from half-time that Bruno Fernandes wasn't having a great game. And yeah, van der Beek's had, I think, is it 250 minutes of game time in the Premier League this mm. season? Um, I think that's a big blot on Solskjaer's copybook, really. Yeah, I think this this was a game for, for van der Beek because, yeah, Fernandes was, was not good, really, at all. Yeah, well, they've got Fulham coming up at the weekend. Uh, sorry, tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, Wednesday night. Um, yeah. You, you think van der Beek might get a start there, you know, especially if they've got Liverpool uh, coming up in the mm. FA Cup at the weekend. Yeah. If, he's, if, he's not, if he's not playing one of those games, then I'm, I'm starting to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, these two play each other again in the FA Cup at the weekend, which uh, you, you must be looking forward to, Joel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> the, the, the next league meeting's at Old Trafford in May. Do you expect both teams to still be competing for the title at that point? Um, no, I don't. I'm I'm actually concerned for Liverpool at the moment, but you know that that I think you are when you when you're stuck in bad form. Um, I do expect at some point Liverpool will will sort themselves out. It just depends how long that will take because Man City don't look like they're going to slow down anytime soon. Um, Liverpool will find a solution, but they need to find that solution within the next couple of weeks, and it can't be going into March and still be in bad form. Um, I think, and also with Manchester United, they're in great form at the moment and deserve to be top of the league. But still, nothing that I've seen that makes you think that they're better than Liverpool and Manchester City. Mm. So I, I do think United will comfortably finish in the top four now at the start of the season. I thought that was up for grabs, but I still don't. I, I think at some point they'll tail off and they'll lose, they'll lose a couple of stupid games. I, I, they're not far away now, but I still don't think they're going to be you know the champion of the title in May. Yeah, you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, completely agree. I think that they've had a great start to the season and they've been as impressive as they have in sort of six or seven years, really. But yeah, I, I think they'll tail off by the end of the season. Yep. Well, after beating Crystal Palace 4-0 on Sunday night, Manchester City can go top of the league by beating Aston Villa on Wednesday. Do you get the sense, Alex, that City are casually slipping into the driving seat of this yeah, title race now? Yeah, I was I was working uh, Sunday night and I, I messaged Phil, our colleague, Phil Costa, and I just said, City win this league by 10 points, don't they? <laughs> he just replied with a <laughs> thumbs up emoji. Um, they, yeah, they looked look really really good I know Palace were without Zaha and yeah then he's he's key for them but it was 
it was almost like 1718 city you know a, a team goes to the ad and just takes a three four nil and just shut you know pretends like it didn't happen they yeah they looked imperious i thought yeah i mean people who've been listening to this podcast all season will know that i pretty much bowed out of the title race after about two <laughs> games i was worried about worried about finishing the top four at one point so it's uh, it's funny how it can all turn around uh ll cool j once said don't call it a comeback <laughs> but i think we've got to call john stone's return to form of this season a comeback don't we joel he's been in amazing form two goals in this game it's wild, isn't it? Because mm. you're looking at America Laporte, who I think is probably in the top three, four centre-backs in the division, and he, he's not getting a sniff at the moment. Mm. And that can maybe be testament to how good John Stones is playing. And I wonder how much of an effect Ruben Diaz has had on yeah. him as well. Yeah. They, they both just complement each other perfectly, don't they? And it's, it's wild. He deserves all the credit he's getting, John Stones. And he's always been rated as a really good centre-half, but, you know, he's, he's had silly mistakes, that kind of thing. But I think that's because of the way he likes to play the game. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but... He's now adding the fact that he just looks really solid and really commandable at the back, doesn't he? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Joe. I mean, it's 10 games now that Diaz and Stones have been playing together at centre-half and they've won nine, drawn one and conceded one goal in that mm. time. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Ruben Diaz has, has made all the difference. But, yeah, he just looks like a player reborn, doesn't he, Stones? And um, hopefully that will mean good things for England in the summer yeah I'm not surprised he's taken confidence from playing alongside Diaz because he just makes me feel so safe Diaz I'd, yeah. I'd love to fall asleep in his, in his muscular <laughs> arms <laughs> but uh, Stones is two goals in this match were his first and second in the Premier League for City and only his third Premier League goal overall uh, I was desperate to see City get a penalty in the dying minute so he'd have the chance to complete his perfect <laughs> hat trick um, do you reckon he's pretty much guaranteed his spot in the England squad for the Euros already Alex uh, maybe not just yet, but I think if he carries on for the next few months, then yeah, 100%. And I'd start him as well. I think he's, yeah, he just, you can just tell that something's different about him, whether that's something off the pitch, is sort of, yeah, he's, I don't know, his head's a bit clearer with things. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, he looks totally like a player reborn. And yeah, I would. I would start him in the Euros for sure. Mm, and that's seven clean sheets in the last nine games for City. I mean, they're still not really sort of banging in the goals uh, as, uh, on the regular basis up front, but Joel, is this a case of, you know, you sort your defence out and the results take care of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know that if you, if you, you know, go keep a clean sheet, you need to score one goal to win yeah. the game, don't you? As Mike Lone would put it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's, it gives you a lot of belief up front. And, and the thing is with Man City, you know, and obviously you've said it before, they've not been clinical enough this season, but that that will figure itself out now. And I guess it is it's now sorting itself out because it's got four goals at the weekend. Mm-hmm. But um, but at some point, the attackers will be firing in 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 the, in the last couple of years. And the, the defender, they take the pressure off the defenders, but. Yeah, it absolutely does. And Liverpool felt the same for, for the last couple of seasons. We, we've known that if we, we'll, if we can keep a clean sheet with Virgil van Dijk at the back, that we'll be absolutely sound. Um, and we, we've gone to one games one nil and two and you know and two nil because we know we're, we're absolutely safe at the back. And I think there's a massive effect. And it's, it's been City's Achilles heel for years, and, and now it's become probably. I mean, you know, the strongest point of the team this season. Mm, yeah, that's something else that I didn't see coming at all. <laughs> uh, first goal of this game came from a sensational Kevin De Bruyne across. That was his 100th assist in a City shirt. But Graham Sooner said on Sky that it wasn't that good. <laughs> Who's, whose side are you on on this debate? I, I'm not on Graham Sooner's side, I must say. I thought, um, yeah, I, I mean, what more is there to say about Kevin De Bruyne? Really? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's... For me, far and away the best player in the Premier League. I think he's just an absolute joy to watch. And I think if City are 
gonna if there is one weakness that they have it's that they are so reliant on him to create things um you know if he does go down with an injury or something before the end of the season and i would seriously seriously worry for them mm. but um yeah i thought it was a thought it was a really good guy not really sure what soon i saw that <laughs> i think he just likes to win <laughs> yeah. uh, city's xg was just 0.7 in this game but that's now 33 goals conceded by palace this season the third worst defensive record in the league uh, do you think there's a chance they might get sucked into a relegation battle joel if they don't stop leaking goals or, or just conceding seven and four against teams like liverpool and city not matter too much in the grand scheme of things if you're still getting results elsewhere well, it seems a little wild to say, but I, I do. I don't think it matters too much because Crystal Palace won't be judging themselves on on getting results against Liverpool and City. But obviously, if you can see in seven and four, there's a little bit of a problem. Mm. And, and I think the thing is with Roy Hodgson, the way he sets up his teams, they should be disciplined and, and they should be hard to beat. And that that's meant to be their, their strength. That you know maybe they go to these grounds and have no chance of winning, but they should only get beat two or three. Um, and they, you know they're not at the moment, so I think there is an area of concern and. And, and and the thing is, he, by setting him up the way he does, he blunts the attacking players they have in their team, like the likes of Wilfred Sahar and, and, and Eze. And I think obviously Sahar didn't play on Sunday. And, and I think if if you're not if you're not getting your clean sheets or you're not being hard to beat at the back, then what's the point in doing what you're doing? Maybe you should try and you know let the shackles off a bit. I think they'll be fine because there are three teams worse than them in the Premier League. But you know there is something that. You know, if they go and lose the next two or three, you'll start to get a bit more. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at the Roy Hodgson algorithm. Where are we up to, where are we up to on that now? Six wins, five uh, draws, eight defeats. <laughs> so yeah, we're getting close, aren't we? Getting close. <laughs> well, in Sunday's other game, Tottenham kept themselves firmly in the title race with a three-one win away at Sheffield United. First question on this: Was Tangi and Dombele's goal a stroke of genius or a spe- speculative effort that just so happened to go in, Alex? Uh, goal of the season. You reckon? That's what it yeah. was. I thought it was absolutely <laughs> genius. Yeah, and I love Tangi and Dombley. I've just said that De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League, but I think Ndombele is probably my favourite to watch. I just think <laughs> he's so unique as a player. His skill set is there's like no player like him, probably in Europe really. Um, just the way he just gets on the ball, always makes the right decision, two footed, strong. He's got he's just got everything really, um, and. You know, it was a shame that he sort of fell out of favour for a little bit, and I sort of wondered whether he could get back into the Tottenham team and back into Mourinho's favour. But he's done it, and he's one of the first names on the team sheet now. I think he's just such a brilliant player. And if Tottenham are going to win a cup, get in the top four, a lot of it, obviously, a lot of praise has been put on um, Kane and Son, but and Dombele would be a big part of that as well for me. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, do you know what I mean about that goal, though, Joel? It's sort of like you know, if you. Did, did he definitely mean to do it like that? Is it, is it something that you can say, like, that's exactly what he wanted to do? Or do you just, do you just kind of flick the ball in that area and hope for the best, really? I'm going to RIP myself a bit here and say he didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he saw someone coming in at the back post and thought he'd try and get the ball across. I'm also going to, and this might be harsh, but I'm also going to criticise Aaron Ramsdale because... It just it looked weird from the first from the first point you see it, and then you see on the replays it just goes too goes too um, too early to, to try and dive for the ball, and it's it's just an awful keeper. <laughs> um, so, but I, I don't want to blame too much because yeah. I guess it is a good goal, but it's, I, I, I didn't mean it. It, it was uh, a moment of, <laughs> yeah. of inspiration, but what? Yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence and say that he did mean it, but nine times out of ten that probably doesn't go in. You know, the keeper saves it. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. 
Uh, Joel, do you want to add some more praise to what Alex said about Ndombele? Because, you know, he's really blossomed as a Spurs player now after, you know, a pretty underwhelming first season. Uh, you know, Mourinho had him doing shuttle runs in the park during lockdown. And all <laughs> yeah. that, didn't he? Do, yeah. is, that, is that the secret to his success, do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that must be it. He's, everything Alex said is, is you know, is, is great, and, that, and that's exactly what he's like. And you know, there was a concern that we weren't going to see it at Spurs because you know, for some reason, Mourinho just wasn't having him at the start. But he's he's incredible. I don't think there is a player like him. Um, and what is good as well is the transition, which you know Tottenham need to be good at if they want to play the way they want to play. And I remember watching the Wolves game recently where he gets the ball with with his back to his own goal. Um, and he has three Wolves players on him, and he just turns, look one little turn, and and, and bosses off on on three of them. And I think he uh, he outpaces Adam Traore, which is which is not easy. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's a phenomenal footballer, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And there was talk of him being sold in the summer as well, wasn't there? What, what a yeah. mistake that would have been. Uh, before this game, Spurs have fallen into the habit of sort of failing to kill off games in the second half. You know, the Fulham uh, game being the most recent example of that. Do you think this was a, a concerted effort to avoid that happening, Alex? And do you expect them to kind of uh, take take heart from this and kick on a bit? Um, I mean, Tottenham aren't going to be playing Sheffield United every week. <laughs> um, is what I'd say to that. Yeah. Um, they just... I mean, yeah, I like Chris Wilder and yeah, but they, Sheffield United are really, really bad. And I think Tottenham, it, this sounds very rote, but Tottenham have just got a lot better players than Sheffield United. Yeah. So I think, you know, if they were going to sit back against them, that would have been a huge mistake. And yeah, they, they could have got four or five, to be honest. Um, I don't think Mourinho is ever going to change. And I think against the better teams, um, Tottenham will try and score and then sit back. But yeah, I mean, imagine the uproar if they'd have done that here. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they'll kick on per se, but, um, you know, three goals and a win is going to give any team confidence. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll see in a few weeks. But yeah, let's, that'll be the case. let's see how they get against Liverpool in a couple yeah, of weeks. Exactly, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sheffield United did look like they might have turned the corner when they won at Newcastle, but perhaps that says more about Newcastle than them. Uh, they were dreadful in this game again. Um, it seems weird to ask this after how well they did last season, but how many of their players do you think are actually Premier League quality, Joel? I think last season they definitely 100% um, performed greater than some of their parts, uh, for sure. But and I think if you ask yourself that question, if they go down now, how many Premier League teams will, and how many of their players will be, will be scoped out by Premier mm. League teams? Um, who's going to get big moves? I, I, I'm not sure you're looking at any of them, apart from maybe Jack O'Connell, and he's been out injured for a year. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what it is, because the team's not actually that much different to last season. If anything, it's improved because they signed Sander Burge in January, and mm. he's a good footballer. But I'm, I'm not sure it's all down to the to the goalkeeper, which I know you're going to speak about in a minute, but that's the only big difference from last season is they changed the goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder whether Aaron Ramsdale's got them relegated. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Alex, is the £41 million they spent on Rian Brewster and Aaron Ramsdale one of the biggest waste of money the Premier League has ever seen? <laughs> yeah, I feel... I mean, what a move that is for Brewster. That's, well, that's pretty pretty tough on him, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Joel mentioned it there, but they, Jack O'Connell's been such a big sort of big miss for them he's yeah had really bad knee trouble and he was the sort of overlapping centre-backs he was you know that was such a big thing last season and a big talking point he was the sort of main proponent of that and he was sort of what helped um helped Wilder able to do that so yeah I think obviously they have wasted a lot of money on those two but I think Jack O'Connell being missing has been their big big Achilles heel this season but I think we should say that um 
Sheffield United aren't a Premier League club. That squad is not Premier League quality. They Wilder did an amazing job to get them there, yeah. and I think this is just a sort of regression to the mean, really. Mm. And I'm I'm sort of quite pleased to see Sheffield United not throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of him, and you know get a you know, big salmon or you know yeah. whatever. You know, it would have been quite easy to do that. So I think they're they're going about things the right way in a in a roundabout way. Yeah, go down, rebuild yeah, with the squad they've yeah, got, exactly, see, see yeah. what happens. Uh, yeah. you know, good, good luck to him. Good luck yeah. to him. Uh, well, Arsenal are into the top half after they beat Newcastle 3 0 at the Emirates on Monday night. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang missed an open goal early in the game before making amends by scoring his first and second Premier League goals in over a month in the second half. Do you expect the goals to flow for him again now, Joel? I mean, he'll do him the world of good. He's, you know, he was, he was a meme after the open goal miss, wasn't mm. he? And he wondered out if it was going to be one of those nights for him again. It's just not quite worked him so far this season. I'm not sure whether that's down to the fact that he has been playing off the left. You know, he has played there in the past for the likes of Dortmund, um, but for some reason this season he's not actually been getting as many, you know, high quality chances as he has been in the past. Um, I, I think possibly it'll flow for him now because the thing is Arsenal are improving as a team, and I think that will benefit him as well. And he, he's now got the likes of you know Bukayo Saka and, and Smith Rowe have come in and. and just look, look phenomenal. Look like they're going to revitalise that team, and you know they will go and lose games, but I think they're going to create more chances for them, and I think that'll benefit them one hundred percent. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter during the game who, who's uh, you know watches Arsenal regularly saying, I'm, "I'm worried that Aubameyang's finished. He's just not you know looking good, not looking confident at all." And then pops up with two goals in the second half, and he's doing somersaults and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, uh, what do you make of Arsenal's recent results and performances, Alex? Have you seen genuine improvement for them, or are they just kind of at the level we expected of them before the season began? I mean, I I personally thought the criticism was slightly overboard when they weren't doing quite so well, and I think the praise now is a little bit overboard. Do you I mean, they're sort yeah. of. I, I always trusted Arteta to get it done in the end. Um, but they, yeah, they. I mean, New, I don't want to be negative all the time, but Newcastle were really quite poor last <laughs> night again. Um, but you know, when you've got the likes of Cedric Suarez doing back heels, you know, the sort of youthful <laughs> enthusiasm has spread to the rest of the squad yeah. in Ar- at Arsenal. So, yeah, Smith Rowe has just been absolutely brilliant since he came in in boxing on Boxing Day and. And Saka, I mean, he looks like their best player now, doesn't he? Which yeah. is astonishing, really. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't don't want to go too overboard with the praise, but like, I didn't go too overboard with the criticism. I think they're they're getting slowly better all the time, and mm. I can definitely see them challenging for top four come the end of the season if they keep on going like this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think I think that might be just a bit beyond them. This yeah, season, maybe but... maybe might finish like fifth or sixth, but yeah, um, yeah. I think come the end of the season, we'll look back on this Arsenal season and think, yeah, that was about right. Yeah, I mean, they, they yeah. score some good goals. I, I find them quite dull to watch, though. Mm. I think they, yeah, they move yeah. the ball a bit too slowly. I mean, you mentioned uh, Saka and, and Smith Rowe have been brilliant, but with the exception of those young players, Joel, do you think maybe they just don't quite have the players Mikel Arteta needs for the way he wants to play at the moment? Is that their the biggest problem? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'm not quite sure we know exactly how he wants to play yet. Um, and he's been he's been in the job for a year now, but and we assume because he was Pep Guardiola's disciples that he wants to play like Pep Guardiola. But mm. that might not necessarily be the case. Um, and I actually think this team, and you've alluded to it there, this team's probably better suited being a sort of counter attacking team. And I think the first goal last night proved that because they've got Thomas Party. You can do that. And Grant Jacker, I don't think he's going to be a player who's going to dictate the tempo for you like he thinks he can. But he's a very good player at breaking up play and, and playing it to the lads who can play the nice balls. And I, I just think they're probably better suited to playing like that. But 
if they are going to try and become Man City 2.0, I, I'm not. I think it's going to take a long time because, like you said, they're they're going to, they're going to need to get the players to do that. And I, I, don't, I don't think they've actually got it. And mm. Saka and Smith Rowe, I think better players to play on the counter attack as well because they can carry the ball uh, for long distances very quickly. Yeah, but Tom, Thomas Partey is probably one of the players that they need for this this kind of football, and he was very good against Newcastle. Do you think if if he stays fit, Alex, that might be what sort of takes him to the next yeah. level? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's he was an excellent signing, and obviously he got injured in the North London derby, and it does seem like they've missed just his presence really in in the centre midfield. But yeah, you're right; he, he did look really good last night, and I think he'll be he will be key going forwards. Um, I, I just I don't know. I just I, I like the sort of flow of this Arsenal team now. They they sort of seem to everyone seems to know their job, and they're obviously a clearly well coached team and. Um, yeah, I just I, I, I trust them to do good things going forward. Yeah, but what about yeah. Newcastle though, Joel? I mean, uh, Steve Bruce was saying after the Sheffield United defeat that he was going to be much harder on his players. No more Mister Nice Steve and all that. But uh, <laughs> if he has been bollocking them, it hasn't had the desired effect yet, has it? He had a bizarre week because he had that post match where in Impressor where he said that they're not been playing his way and the players have wanted to play five at the back and, and been quite def- defensive. And mm. I mean, that's not like bullshit to me. To yeah, because be we associate Steve Bruce with free-flowing attacking football, <laughs> don't we, <Mo? laughs> And then last night, you get a bit excited. It's, you know, eight o'clock when the team drops and it's, you know, four four two. You've got um, three strikers and, um, you know, Almiron in there as well. And you're wondering what's going to happen here. And then within five minutes, you just see that they've, they've you know, put out the low block. Um, and Callum Wilson's having to track back and, and defend, which is just not his role and not his job, is it? Uh, I just think now that he's kind of fronted out the players and the dressing room, it only ends in one way for Bruce now. Yeah, and, yeah. And that always happens, and that's gonna, I think that's going to come for him in the season, mm. isn't it? It relies on Mike Ashley actually bothering to sack him, though. I just feel like Mike <laughs> yeah, Ashley just probably true. can't be arsed. Like, yeah. <laughs> too busy with his other businesses and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on Saturday, Chelsea got their second win in seven Premier League games when they were 1-0 at 10-man Fulham. Uh, Ten different players had shots for Chelsea in this game, but the only goal came pretty late on from Mason Mount. They look like a team who's lacking a bit of confidence in front of goal to you, Joel. Yeah, yeah, but they've they've been under pressure for a couple of weeks, and I, I think they're feeling it. And they're a team that should be doing better than what they have been doing. And you know, they're actually a team that should be challenging for the title on paper. But and, and I think I think yeah, they've just been just from feeling it. They're probably just overthinking it a bit, and a, a bit like sort of in a way that. You know, team of Werner is as well. The problem is they're just overthinking it because mm. once you go on a run of, of not scoring goals and, and and you know not doing your business, you, you, you start to just worry. And I think it is you know is yourself. And you know they, they always had that old adage of you know one needs to go in off your ass kind of thing. And and I, I think the way Mount scores and, and the, the, the how late they get it and the, the fact that they get a one 0 win away in the Premier League. I think that'll do them the world of good, but but yeah, up until then, they look like teams really struggling at the moment, but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned Timo Werner there. He hasn't scored since the 7th of November. Is this just a bit of teething trouble from him, Alex, or are you concerned that he could end up being a bit of a flop? I I wonder whether Werner could be a bit of a kepper. Oh, I... Um, <laughs> I think Lampard's come out and was obviously very critical of Kepper publicly, and he's, done, he's sort of done the same, really, with Werner. Um, you know, questioning mentality and things like that. I, uh, it, you know, it's it's one thing to be in positions to score and miss them. You know, it, it's not ideal, but you can sort of you can pass that off as you know just a bit lack of confidence or whatever. But when you're not even getting in those positions to miss, that's when it's really a worry. Mm. Um, you know, he went through. It was late on when he went through, and 
his first touch was just abysmal. And that just belies to me a player that sort of just is through the floor and like, you know, he's just got no confidence whatsoever. Um, obviously, the way he gets confidence is by scoring. But uh, yeah, I, I would worry, to be honest. And I think Chelsea look like a better team without him in it, which, um, yeah, which is never a good way to no. be if you're a £50 million striker. Yeah, you were uh, pretty disappointed when he didn't go to Liverpool over the summer, Joel. Do you, do you think maybe it was a, a bit of a bullet dodged? Yeah, quite possibly in the way that Diego Jota um, turned out. But yeah. I, I just think that he maybe doesn't suit Chelsea and the, the way they play or, or the way Lampard wants to play anyway because they, they want to keep the ball and they want, they want to dictate the possession and, and the tempo of the game. And, you know, as, as we all saw of Werner at Leipzig, he's, he's brilliant on the counter-attack and, he, and he's brilliant when he's got space to run into. And I guess if you are going to be a top-class player, you've got to try and adapt to, to different ways and, and, and different style of play. But I, I just think that they're not, they've not used them to his full effect this season. And, and I think there's a bit of that. And, and obviously, you can't go away and not criticise the player. But but I, I, I think he would have suited the team, to be honest. Yeah. Fulham were enjoying the best spell of uh, of this game towards the end of the first half when Ivan Cavallero missed a great chance. Then they had Anthony Robinson sent off for a, a robust foul on uh, Cesar Azpilicueta. <laughs> any, any complaints about that decision, Joel? There was a, a, bit, a bit of debate about it, wasn't there? I don't think I any complaints, can you? No, I nah. think, you know, we give the referee some shit, but I think they got that one right, to be fair <laughs> to them. But, but Fulham have shown a lot the last couple of weeks, haven't they? Um, did very well at Spurs to get the points and... You know, you know. I think Jamie Carragher said they he was hundred percent certain they're going down the start mm. of the season. I think that looks a lot a bit stupid now. To yeah, be it wasn't that long ago people were sort of tuning in to watch Fulham just to kind of laugh at how bad they were, and uh, yeah. and now I would I would bat them to stay up actually. Yeah, I think, I think it was the same as well. Yeah, uh, but at the other end of the pitch, Alex, uh, other end of the table, should I say? Put these uh, <laughs> put these teams in order of how they will finish this season: Man United, <sighs> Tottenham, Chelsea. Um, I'm going to say Tottenham, Man United, Chelsea. And for you, Joel? I think I would go Man United, Chelsea, Tottenham. I'd go Man United, Tottenham, Chelsea, I reckon. (laughs) Man Man United third, Tottenham fourth, Chelsea fifth. For me, Clive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other derby that took place this weekend saw struggling West Brom come from behind to win 3-2 at Wolves on Saturday. That's the first time the Baggies have scored three times away from home in the Premier League in almost seven years. Are you sensing a big <laughs> uh, big Sam survival special incoming here, Joel, or, or do you still expect them to go down? They'll give it a fight, and I think it depends on what they do in the transfer market, if they can do anything. Um, I know Aldice has been quite vocal of that in the last couple of days, and Saying that he spoke to about two hundred and fifty players, and they think they might get two or three, which is which is wild. Um, but I, I, it depends on what they what they bring in, who they can bring in, because I think the squad as it is right now on today is just not good enough to stay in the division. And okay, they get a very good results on on Saturday, but they will they will lose more than they win uh, from now until the end of the season if, if they don't bring anyone else in. And I think this is the one that might just be a bit too beyond the Big Sam, sadly. I mean, that's sad to say, isn't it? <laughs> the fall of Big Sam. We've been waiting a long time for this, haven't we? <laughs> where, where do you reckon they need to strengthen, if if anywhere? For one, I think with, with Aldice, he, he likes having a, you know, a solid midfield. And at the moment... In up, up until uh, Saturday, he's had to play four attacking midfielders in in midfield, which which just it's just completely unbalanced. And I know you can bring Jake Livermore back in now, but I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be the guy who's going to shore up the midfield. To be honest, um, it's wild that he was playing for England a couple of years ago, Jake Livermore. But what can we say? And I also do need to, it's, it's the easiest thing to say, but they need someone else up front, don't they? Because mm. the strikers they've got just aren't good 
could do it for them. Uh, and Stod Ross is, is a, an astute buyer, I guess. He can put the balls in, but they need to get someone who, who, who needs to just score five, six goals. That's all they need, really. Because they're not going to win games 3-2 every week, are they? Mm. If they're going to stay up, they're going to win games 1-0 or 2-1. And they just need that another lad up front, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, Wolves, they're down to 14th now, having taken just five points from the last nine games. Do you think we might be asking serious questions about uh, Nuno Espirito Santo soon, Alex? Um, I'm not... Uh, no, I'm not sure we'd be calling for his head. I think, you know, they they had such a elongated season last time, didn't they? Getting to the quarterfinals of the Europa League and, and obviously they've been... Yeah, the Raul Jimenez injury has sort of completely unbalanced them as a as a side. Um, they do look, they do look very off at the moment, but I th- I think you can make excuses for the fact that they just just look knackered, don't they? Yeah. So I'm not sure we'll be asking. Yeah, we'll be calling for his head, but um, yeah, they could they could seriously do with a win. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, Fabio Silva did score here. Pretty good goal it was too, actually. Uh, Wolves have 23 shots in total. Do you expect their form to turn around when they get Raúl Jiménez back, or, or do the problems go a bit deeper than that for you, Joel? I think it's a massive thing, and I think what Alex says there about them just being a bit you know a bit tired. I think you know it is one of the main problems for them. But the thing is with Wolves at the start of the season, they tried to change their style of play. Um, I think they got burnt by Sevilla in Europa League last season where they didn't touch the ball for 90 minutes. And I think they tried. To, Nuno wanted to sort of change them from being a counter-attacker team that was solid to a team that dictated possession. Um, and don't necessarily think they got the players to do it, even, even though Ruben Neves and, and Matinho were tidy on the ball. I don't think they've got enough to sort of change that. And what we're seeing now is a team that's just been hurt um, when they're trying to, you know, trying to change and I, th- I think maybe at some point it will work for them but right now they're getting properly burnt for them and I don't think him has to go back for the end of the season I mean it's amazing that he might play football again to be mm. honest um, but they, they should write off the fact that he's going to play this season and they need to find a solution and yeah I don't think they've got a goal scorer in the team's going to do it they can't just rely on Pedro Neto every week can they yeah, that, yeah, they showed him and us in the crowd watching this game with that uh, that scar on his head looks brutal, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah, uh, they're also without a clean sheet in twelve Premier League games, and they've conceded the first goal in nine of them. Uh, Connor Cody was subbed off after conceding a clumsy penalty in the second half. Is their defence a bigger concern uh, than perhaps we've 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 uh, noticed before? Yeah, now, Alex? yeah, I think it is a huge concern. They've I'm just looking now; they've conceded twenty nine goals this season. And last season, in the whole season, they conceded 40. Um, so it's clearly a huge drop-off. And mm. Cody being subbed off I would actually be a bit of a concern for me if I was a Wolves fan. He played it apart. He got injured, didn't he, for like one game. Or was he suspended for one game last season? But apart from that, I think he was on for the record of like 200 consecutive games yeah, or something like that. that. Um, so him being subbed off when he's such a vocal leader um, would worry me if I was a Wolves fan. I think... Um, yeah, they, they bought the young lad from Liverpool, uh, Kai Huebner, um, and he doesn't really seem to have done much. Um, so, yeah, that, is a, that would be a big concern for me, I think. And, and sometimes you just need to completely go back to basics, don't you, and get a nil-nil and try and nick, you know, nick a goal in the last minute or whatever. And, um, 
yeah, it's Wolves seem to be a long way from that winner um, win at Arsenal, whenever that was. Was it a month ago, two months ago? Mm. Um, yeah, they seem to be a long way from that now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was expecting an interesting game at the King Power Stadium on Saturday night, and we got exactly that as Leicester ran out 2-0 winners over Southampton. A question from James Smith on Twitter, who asks for our thoughts on Leicester's title chances this season. They're unbeaten in six games now. Can you see a repeat of 2016 happening, Joel? Are we sleeping on Leicester? <laughs> Quite possibly, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to win the league, but I have more faith in them being there than Chelsea and Spurs come come April, let's say. I don't think necessarily it'll extend to May, but I think in April, we're still, sort of April, we might still be talking about Leicester being in there, you know. Mm. And I think, it, you know, that, that Brendan Rodgers for all the meter should stay in the box for the rest of the time, and I was doing it because <laughs> they've now had a season where they finished fifth, and I think everyone sort of was was laughing at them because he tailed off towards the end of the season. But this is this is now two good, or so at least eighteen months of just of being in that top four and around the top six, and, and that just shows that they're a good team. And I think there's a chance that you know if they're going to have problems towards the end of the season with injuries and fitness because they've still got Europa League knockouts to come. But if the, if anyone slips up with Man City and Liverpool, if if neither of them sort of both of them sort of fail towards in the season. I would say Leicester are there to snap up on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about it because, you know, if I put United to finish third, Tottenham fourth, Chelsea fifth, that means <laughs> Leicester sixth. But I'm not yeah. sure I'm not yeah. sure that's right, is it? What do, what do you reckon, yeah. Alex? I, I think Leicester are brilliant. Uh, they're one of my favourite teams to watch. Um, yeah. I think they've got the most underrated player in the Premier League in Yuri Tielemans. Mm. I think yeah. he could get into any midfield in potentially Europe, but definitely in the Premier League. I think he's absolutely superb. Got two assists. Did get two assists this weekend? Yeah, definitely got at least one. Um, I just think he's such a good player, so clever on the ball. and like He's always always wants the ball in tight situations as well, which is invaluable when you're sort of on the front foot as a team. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're a really, really good team. Um, they're just sort of firing all, on all cylinders, aren't they? And I, I always say on this podcast, you can tell when a team is properly coached and Leicester are a team that are properly coached. Like everyone knows their job. You, you know, Someone can get injured and another player can just slip in and knows exactly what they're doing. And that's the sign of a great, great manager and a great squad. And yeah, I think Leicester will definitely finish in the top four for me. I can't see them slipping up like they did last season. Um, perhaps the only thing that is a bit of a worry is the Europa League knockouts and whether that eventually the minutes will catch up with their legs. But um, Jamie Vardy limped off at the end. Is that a potential problem? Uh, uh, I, yeah, I think it could be. I guess they've got Cengiz under to come in. I know he's not exactly the same player, but Vardy you know, is so talismanic for them and he sort of sets the tempo for the rest of the side, you know, pressing from the front and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I guess as with as with most squads in the Premier League, if a key player goes down injured for a long time, that's that will hurt them. But I think if if there's any squad that can deal with uh, with a big injury, Leicester's probably one of them. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think they're a great side. Really love watching them. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers was saying we'll have to start preparing for life without Jamie Vardy. I'm not ready for life without Jamie Vardy. I don't, think. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> Skittles ambassador, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. <laughs> what did you enjoy more, Joel? Uh, James Madison's goal or his or his socially Distant celebration. <laughs> the goal was brilliant, um, and I love that he sort of referenced Andrea Shelvin's goal um, afterwards in the interview, where he said he, he had that in his mind. But the celebration's clever, isn't it? You gotta love it. You know, when you have a bit of fun on the pitch like that, you know, 
the, the gang of lads aren't in the box of toys. You can't, you can't enjoy that. Yeah, Fernandinho did a good one um, after thinking it was Gundogan's goal for City the other night as well. Yeah, so because uh, it's a, just a load of bullshit. This not being able to celebrate together, oh, yeah, absolute yeah. nonsense. Uh, Southampton were without Danny Ings after he tested positive for COVID, and they've now scored just one goal in their last five games. Uh, do you think they're in danger of fading away after being so good in 2020, Joel? Um. I mean, they've survived without Danny Ings early on the season because he has been injured and and, and he still got results. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure they will they will fade away. I mean, if Southampton finish between seventh and tenth, it's a very good season for them. And I I think they're, they're more than capable of doing that. Um, and I think that actually gets them into Europe if they finish seventh. In, in the, they've got this new Europa Conference League coming next season. Oh yeah, they? that's right. Yeah. Which is, is that which next is, season? Yeah. yeah, I think you qualify this season starts next season, which is just just bizarre. what we need more football, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's not enough <laughs> really football. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so we've got we've got that. I'm sure some answer will love that. But I think they're a team that's just felt the the, the pack schedule catch up with them in recent weeks but let's not forget two games ago they beat Liverpool and, and they were brilliant in, in doing so and, and I think I think they'll be fine and just, just having a few you know odd games here and there but they'll be alright mm. Leicester v Chelsea on Tuesday evening are, are Chelsea going to be alright there Alex do you think or, or have they got a, an ass whooping coming their way I, I think the latter yeah I'm really looking forward to that game actually yeah uh, I can I can see Leicester doing a number on them. I think maybe two two or three guys. And mm. how much would Rogers like to get one over <laughs> on uh, Chelsea on his old club? And I know yeah. he's been linked to a job there. So um, yeah, I'm sure uh, Brendan will have a few words to say to Frank after the final whistle <laughs> if he uh, yeah puts a few past him. I think Brendan loves getting one over anyone, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brighton gave their survival hopes a massive boost when they won 1-0 away at Leeds on Saturday. They were good against City last week, perhaps unlucky not to get something. Do you think this result's been coming for the Seagulls, Joel, and do you expect them to start pulling away from the relegation zone a bit now? Yeah, they have been a team that has you know, probably had a few unlucky results and probably been better than what they've been showing. But I actually think in recent weeks they, they, you know, they kind of slipped up a bit and, and, and the performances haven't been as good as they were at the start of the season. And, uh, you know, it's... To get those results, it just really shocked me. It's the one that surprised me the most on the weekend, to be honest with you. Um, I thought Leeds would stick three, stuck up three or four past them, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I still think with Brighton, it, it, they're, they're a weird team in, in the way they can keep the ball very well and they do create little chances here and there. I, I, but when you think about sort of trying to pull away from the relegation zone, I, I don't think so. I don't necessarily think they, they will go down because you know West Brom and Sheffield United are probably almost certain to go down and we throw Newcastle Palace into the equation before them Brighton probably got enough to get you know a finish above those teams but I think I think if you if you're talking about sort of mid-April and we ask ourselves our, that question again I, I think Brighton won't necessarily be safe but yeah we'll we'll see it's one of them in it each of the last five victories have come away from home for Brighton they've got Fulham at the Amex in their next Premier League game how do you how do you think they make their home ground a bit more of a fortress um I mean, if I had the answers to that, I would be a Premier League manager. But I think, personally, <laughs> Brighton just need to keep playing the way they're playing. I, apologies to whoever said this on Twitter, but um, someone said, being a Graham Potter fan is like being a Velvet Underground fan in 1971. <laughs> you know you're right, but it's just going to take a few years for it to come, <laughs> come to fruition. And I'm exactly like that. I love Graham Potter. I think he's absolutely quality. He has all the right ideas about the game. Um, and it's it's just a bit of a breath of fresh, bit of breath of breath of fresh air, really. So yeah. um, 
yeah, I, I like Brighton, and I really hope that they do enough to stay in the Premier League. So I think they're a good side, and you know they need a goal scorer. Um, Danny Welbeck hasn't uh, hasn't been that for them, but um, yeah, I just think they just if they just keep playing the way they're playing, then I think eventually there are three wor- three worse sides than them in the division. So um, yeah, I think yeah. they'll they'll stay up eventually. Maybe get Andy Warhol to design <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> the secret to their success. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that's another defeat to uh, for Leeds after they lost 3-0 to Tottenham in the Premier League and then 3-0 to Crawley in the FA Cup last weekend. I don't want to use the phrase Bielsa burnout, Joel, but are they running out of steam a little bit here? Yeah, it does look a bit like that, doesn't it, at the moment. Um, and I guess that can be expected because, you know, we've just come through the Christmas period where they've had a lot of games and, and I think the way Leeds play, that's, it's going to have an effect on their legs. Um, and I, I guess we, we have seen it, you know, year after year with, with Bielsa's teams, but... Also with Leeds, you know, in the first season he was there, the way he sort of, you know, the wheels fell off a bit towards the end of the season. It's probably maybe a bit early for that to happen now, but I think that's what we are seeing at the moment because they're just trying to play the right way and they're trying to do the right things and they've looked all right in each of these games. I do think they were maybe harsh to lose 3-0 against Spurs I think they deserve the goal, but... I think with, with with this with this one, yeah, I think this is probably a bit more concerning than the Spurs one because it comes to the context of the three 0 defeat to Crawley, which now you know if you use that in, in as a group thing, you know it's it's three bad defeats, and mm, I'm not sure I'll get out of this right away. I think you know you don't want to go and lose the next game because then it's a real you know, a bit of a crisis kind of thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? And they they really miss Calvin Phillips in this game. I thought um, you know he's suspended and. You can just see that everything that's that's good goes through Calvin Phillips, um, and yeah, I thought they really missed him. He d- dictates it, and he also breaks up everything that goes on the counter. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think the Brighton defeats really showed Patrick Bamford's limitations. Like you know, he's he's obviously a, a decent striker, and seems like a really lovely bloke, and he scored a few good goals, but. He had a lot of. He probably had three decent chances in this game, and and I think a, a top quality striker would have scored all three of them. Yeah. I think that's where, that's yeah. I guess Rodrigo was meant to be the person to come in and ease the load on Bamford, but he hasn't really done anything this season. And um, yeah, Leeds. Leeds struggled with him leading the line on Saturday. Mm, and they've got Kiko Casilla playing in goal at the moment, who's well, quite, pretty yeah. shit, isn't he? Let's yeah. be honest. Uh, they've got a 10-day break until their next game now. Do you think the rest will do them good? And, and what do you think they should be working on in training during that time, Alex? Getting getting sort of balls into the box and getting on the end of stuff? But, um, well, I'm, I will be able to be giving them a rest. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure about that. Um, I, yeah, like I say, I think getting Cal- uh, Calvin Phillips back will be big for them. And I think getting Rafi on the ball more he's, he's been a seems like a bit of a bargain really for 20 million they signed him mm. I'd, and I really like Harrison I think Harrison they need to get him a bit more on the ball as well so yeah we've seen that they can they can go toe to toe with the big boys I think yeah you know since the whole Karen Carney thing they they haven't won a game and conceded however many goals so I think yeah just a, maybe a bit of time for reflection and um mm doubling down from Bielsa and yeah I mean they won't be in any trouble come the end of the season but yeah I think you're right some 10 days of that game probably will do them the world of good now a bit of Karen Carney karma (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, West Ham are into the top half of the table after they beat Burnley 1-0 on Saturday Uh, David Moyes said afterwards we're not the old West Ham anymore we're the new West Ham what do you think he meant by that Joel I don't know about you, but I've always, I've always seen West Ham as quite a flaky team, and I'm not quite sure what they've been about because 
you know, I guess they are, you know, of, of you know established Premier League team, but every now and again they get relegated and come back up straight away. And I don't know what this West Ham way shite that they talk about every now and again. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know what that, that is. And but I think now I think what he's doing, and I know we're going to talk about how good he's he's doing the job, but <laughs> he's he's doing a fantastic job, you know. And mm. I think what it is, he, he's he remind me now of his Everton team a lot in a way that I feel like. If you're a big team playing against, you know, playing against West Ham, and maybe if you go down to their stadium anyway, I feel like now the fan are going to maybe give you a bit of a game, and it's going to be you, know, you have to do well to win the game as well. And um, if you're a top six team playing West Ham, and that was always what his Everton team were, were like, and he's been obviously been a bit, bit of a meme for a long time, David Moyes, because it's not gone well since he left left Everton, eh, left Everton, should I say? But but now I think. He's built them up very well. They're very disciplined. They're very good off the ball. But they've also got some, you know, pretty exciting tackle players in the team as well. And and he's he's kind of getting the lads who do the running, doing the dirty work, do their job. So the lads who can, you know, sit the ball in the back of the net and create the chances can can flourish and do their job as well. And he's doing he's doing a fantastic job of doing it. Yeah, well, that's four clean sheets in the last four games in all competitions. They've also got ten more points and six more goals than they had at this stage last season. Have you been impressed by Moisey, the job he's done this season, Alex? Yeah, I think, I mean, I I certainly raised my eyebrows considerably when they rehired <laughs> him. But um, you can just sort of see that the players are buying into it. And I think a bit a huge reason as to why they're playing so so well and getting good results this season is that midfield two of Suchek and Rice um, I think that's that's almost as good as any midfield two in the Premier League at the moment um, Rice sort of a, a shuttler who can get up and down and get on the ball and release players and Suchek is I think he's a really really good he's been a brilliant signing and he, he could I think he could definitely play for sort of a, a top six team so yeah that um, that midfield is and getting rid of Martin Oval has been a big thing as well sort mm-hmm. of easing him out of the, out of the squad so um, yeah I think that's that's been their base to build on they could probably score do with scoring a few more goals I think you know yeah. Antonio is the one with He's getting getting on the end of things at the moment, but he's you know he's not a, a world class striker, let's say. So they could probably do with more bodies in that department. But um, yeah, I've been really impressed with Moyes. He's, he's it's sort of his level, isn't it, West Ham? I yeah. suppose, and um, you can yeah, like I say, you can just tell the players are buying into it. So yeah, no. I, all respect yeah, to Moisey. It is a perfect little project for him, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Do, do you think, Joel, they need to sign a replacement for Sebastian Allaire after selling to Ajax, or, or is Mikel Antonio and Saeed Benrahma a good enough striking department for now? Yeah, I think they do. Um, I, know, I know they're trying to, and I think they need to get someone in. Antonio is fine, but he's, he's not actually an outlaw striker, is he? He's, he's been retrained to play there. I know he did score four in a, in a game last season, but it was against Norwich. Hmm. Um, and Ben, ben Rahm is a fantastic footballer, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be an out-and-out striker. He's very good at playing sort of in the three positions behind the striker. And, and I think once they sort of get him into the team, West Ham will be a lot better for it as well. But I do think they need that sort of it looks like they want a sort of vocal point kind of striker, and I think they need to get that in. I'm not necessarily sure they could be able to do it this month. Um, but one they, they, sorry, Joe. They have been linked with um, En Nesri from Seville. Yeah. Um, I think he's got about ten goals in La Liga, so or maybe eight goals in La Liga so far this season. So um, whether they've actually got the money to to get him away from Seville, who knows? But yeah, I think what they, team's going to want to sell their striker? The yeah, exactly. As well, it'd be a tough one to do, won't it? No yeah. one's selling or buying anyone, are they? It seems yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's been the quietest January on record, I think. Uh, that's the tenth game this season, in which Burnley have failed to score, which is the most in the league. If their new owners are 
going to invest in the squad this month. Do you think they need a striker or, or better service from midfield, Alex, or both? I mean, probably both, to be honest. I mm. think if you look at their like, um, projections, they're on to, on to score 20 goals this <laughs> season, which would equal Derby in 07-8 as the lowest <laughs> ever, um, which probably tells you all you need to know about them at the moment. Um I don't know, it's a bit of an interesting time for Burnley and Sean Dice especially. You know, they've got new owners that have come in. Um, with that sort of comes renewed maybe expectation and extra pressure. Obviously, he's done an amazing job there, but um, I don't know. I, I, I've, I sense trouble uh, coming for Dice and Burnley, I think, this mm. uh, this season. This, yeah, it's not looking good for them. And, and you, you look at that goal on Saturday um, across... You know that's the sort of stuff that Burnley used to gobble up all day long, um, and if they're going to keep, if they're going to concede goals like that, you know they, they've got then scored two, and they're not scoring two in a Premier League game. So um, yeah, I'd be worried if I was a Burnley fan. I must say. Well, they've got Alan Pace as the chairman now, so maybe they need to hire Paul Power as their director of football because <laughs> every team needs Pace and Power, doesn't it? Yeah. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Uh, Liverpool hosting Burnley at Anfield on Thursday. Easy three points for the Reds incoming, Joel. Are you expecting that? Yeah, Absolutely not, no. I can tell you exactly how the game's going to play out. The only thing I'm not saying about is if Liverpool scored a winner. It's going to be horrendous. They'll set us up to, to defend and it'll be, hor- it'll be a horrible game to watch. It might end 1-0, but it's not going to be a 4-0. I'll say that right now. Oh. Want to keep an eye on then. Sean Dyke's <laughs> taking it down to the gutter. We all love to see that. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks to Alex and Joel for joining me and thanks to you all for listening. Eagle-eared viewers, that's not a thing, is it? We'll have noticed, <laughs> we'll have noticed a different ident at the start of the show this week. That's because we're soon going to have a brand new women's football podcast hosted by Angelina Kelly coming your way. So if you're into women's football or you want to get into it, be sure to check that out. Ian McCourt will be back with the Euro podcast later in the week too and I'll be back to talk all things Premier League the week after next. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with the podcast the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball see you next time